You're listening to the Wildlife Photography Podcast with Rob Reed and Josh Galicki, bringing together the love of nature and photography. Episode 5, The Ethics of Wildlife Photography. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Wildlife Photography Podcast with me, Rob Reed, and my co-host, Josh Galicki. And today, we are joined by our very first podcast guest. And we have with us Georgina Stakler from Australia. Hi, Georgina. Hi, Josh. Hi. How's hey, it going? <laughs> How are you both? Excellent. <laughs> Good. <laughs> we've we've had a we've had a, a whole conversation off air, haven't we? <laughs> yes. <laughs> we, have we have we exhausted the discussion? <laughs> Ready for bed now? No, <laughs> I, I couldn't. You know, off off air, I couldn't shut Georgina up. And now, and now I can't <laughs> well, get. You told me to keep quiet while you're doing the intros. I was like, <laughs> intros over, Georgina. You can say whatever you like now. <laughs> Don't anyway, what we thought we'd talk about today, and we're not going to hold back actually, because um, we had this sort of discussion off air as to as to how far we we should go with this podcast. But I think anything goes actually, and it's a discussion that. I think we need to have, um, and we're going to talk about the ethics involved in wildlife photography um, and focusing on sort of two or three sort of key areas, because Georgina, you're a real advocate, aren't you, of, of wildlife photography being done uh, in an ethical and sustainable way. And from a point of view of actually wanting to educate people as to the impact that we can have as photographers if we're not careful. And I think that's what this podcast is is all about today. Um, basically, that's what we sort of talked about off air. And as I said, I don't think we should be shy about, you, you know, holding back on, on the discussion. Um, you know, this might upset a few people, but as I said off air, I you know, I think it needs to be said. So, why don't you? Uh, why don't we start off by sort of just giving people a, a, a bit of a background over, you know, your sort of ethical approach to photography, perhaps, and and how it, you know, it sort of this sort of education, this ethical education, developed over your photographic career. Sure. Um, um, it's it's one of those things that I came into bird photography. I think as more a person who fell in love with birds and was helping volunteering with a conservation organization rather than as a photographer per se but I did love taking photos but I suppose my primary um, passion was all about the birds and not necessarily the photo of the birds we ended up I ended up taking photos to try and we would do talks to community groups around um, Perth in Western Australia and as part of that we had to have photos of the birds so I ended up going out and taking photos and that's how I got into the bird photography but why I say that is because I think that because I didn't come into it as a twitcher or anyone like that I really um uh, was focused on the birds uh, as they were and I didn't have any preconceived ideas about how you go about getting a photo. I just went out and I did it myself and my approach is to let the birds come to me. I never chase birds. Um, I also think that we need to change attitudes and we need to say is a privilege not a right to get a photo of a bird. Mm. So I will go to an area where a bird is and I'll sit or lie down and over the years I've learned that if you sit or you lie down, birds Birds are, le are more likely to come close to you because a, a walking or a standing, especially a walking human, and there's been studies about this in Australia lately, showing that that's a very predatory behaviour and birds are very intimidated by that. So if you're walking around with your camera and you never sit down and you never stay in one place, then, yeah, you're not going to get close to birds. You Even really flighty birds like migratory waders, I would go and I would see the direction they're feeding in. I don't use any camouflage. Um, I'd go and lie about 50 metres further ahead, lie on the on the sand and just stay there. And I had the old digital SLR, so I was going click, 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 click. <laughs> I, I still, and, like mine still does. Oh, sorry, you still do it, sorry. It's <laughs> <laughs> the old D8, D, D7. D8, D850, sounds, sounds like a machine gun. <laughs> and, you know, so they could hear the thing. They knew I was there, but the thing 
was. By the time they got to me and I was doing all the clicking and I hadn't moved, they knew that I wasn't a threat. And I've had like bar-tailed godwits are really amazing migratory shorebirds. I just give them a little plug. There was one that was tagged and there's one more recently did even better. But the one I remember, she flew 11,000 kilometres in eight days nonstop. I mean, that is amazing so when she lands on that shore the last thing she needs she's got half her body weight left because they lose half their body weight on that flight last thing she needs is to be flushed by photographers wanting to go out there and get a shot you know oh wow Bartow god i'm gonna get a shot so you have to be extra extra you have to be really respectful of these birds they need that time they don't want to be disturbed unnecessarily they need to rebuild their fuel reserves so when i used to lie down like that I've had one come so close I couldn't focus on them. That's how close they come. And it was from not being threatening, just lying down in one position and letting them come to me. And that's the thing I try and get across to people. You don't use invasive techniques. Don't interfere with the natural behaviour of the bird because when you're doing things like call playback, in effect what you're doing, if we take it out of the bird photography area and look at it as a normal person, that's an interference with the natural behaviour of that bird because that bird's going about its business. It gets an artificial call, like, oh, yes, it's a recorded call, but it's still not natural because there's not another male bird. (laughs) And it's flushed out into the open. And the other thing people don't consider is that you're making that bird a target for predators. And statistics have shown that sentinel birds have a much higher rate of being predated. And also, I think there's a study in Chile that's shown that call playback does rate it does result in a higher level of predation of the birds that have been called out into the open so i just have this philosophy that we need to uh step back let the birds come to us and not interfere with their natural behavior and to me that's the more beautiful photo and also you're then getting the natural behaviors with call playback every photo i see is an alert bird it's not a relaxed bird it doesn't look um, natural. It doesn't look natural. You know it's happened, especially if someone's got an account. It's lots of clear backgrounds. There's shy birds sitting up in the open that you don't normally see. And they, they're calling or they're really, their tail's up, their crest is erect. That bird's been stressed it's, because it's it agitated. thinks there's a rival. Yeah. And, you know, my mm. friend did a PhD on a very territorial bird down here, a noisy scrub bird. She said, she said to me one day, we we're talking about it, she said, you know, birds are quite polite. She said they don't actually go into the other bird's territory that often. So I think it's a misunderstanding of nature to think that it's a natural thing to do. Um, It might be natural. I mean, it is natural for another bird every now and then, but it doesn't happen that often in nature. And I've probably been talking too much now. (laughs) Do you think this has got something to do with, we were talking about it, you know, off air, but do you think this has something to do with sort of the impatience of people wanting to oh, get This is shot? what I think is really sad because they're not, if you, I call them the click and runs. So what they want to do is go out, play, get the bird, click, run on to the next bird. And that's not enjoying nature. I'm sorry. That's just no. getting a photo. If you and if you truly love the bird and you really enjoy watching them, you want to see their natural behaviour. I want to see the way they feed and they run around on the branches, the way they preen each other, or like what made me think about the natural behaviours. I had these sand these sand bathing grass wrens, and they were so adorable. And I thought I've never seen a photo of that before. And I realised it's because grass wrens are really shy birds, and most of the photos you see in Australia of grass wrens, they've been called out into the open, so you see multiple individuals with their tails up very alert because they're looking out for an intruder um and that's really sad georgina you mentioned callback and it's interesting a lot of folks consider callback something synonymous with songbird photography or small birds in the forest you have a perch you do the setup and so forth but it goes beyond that doesn't it i mean callback can be used for other types of situations as well oh and you know callback is a useful tool for researchers. I have to stress that. Like it can be used in certain circumstances. My friend was trying to um, get fairy terns who are very vulnerable to, they nest on the beach in very vulnerable places. So to try and get them to nest in a safer place, they were using core playback and decoys to try and lure the birds to a better nesting area. And it was very powerful. So it can be used. And this is, I think that, 
And in the past, there's been say, people saying, well, you can use it every now and then just for a very short period. It doesn't do a lot of damage. But I think um, where I want, I want to, at my first starting point for me personally, it is an interference with a bird. It's a, it's a kind of harassment. Call it what you like. At the end of the day, it's harassment. It's like that kid at the zoo that bangs on the cage to make the animal look so you can take a photo. That's what you're yeah. actually doing. In the past, once every now and then, yeah, maybe you can argue that what is okay, but I want people to look forward and to think about this in a sustainable way. And it is the current trajectory, it is completely un unsustainable for recreational bird photography to have everybody out there using core playback because the numbers of bird photographers have gone up astronomical. There's something like 10 million self-proclaimed or 10% of the American population is a bird watcher now. Uh, self-proclaimed wow. bird. Yeah, it, it's it's phenomenal. That's it's 10% of the population. Huge. Yeah. That's yeah. huge. Where habitat is disappearing faster than it ever was. So the birds have been condensed into smaller areas. People are now posting locations of birds. So, yes, you might play it once, but how do you know someone is not coming down and another 20 people that same month aren't coming to that same bird because they've heard there's this amazing bird there and playing it. And you, every single person in the world who has studied core playback, no matter what their views, will tell you that's a problem. That's a huge yeah. problem because it can impact yeah. breeding behaviours. It actually changes the breeding behaviours of birds. That, that's a really serious thing to be doing, <laughs> yeah. you know. I mean, I have to stress that, that – yeah, I mean, I have to stress this isn't a witch hunt, is it? I mean, this is just a this is trying to point out to people, you know, the reality oh, of the situation. Trying to there's a lot of people. And, and oh yeah, absolutely. And I want to make that yeah. clear. There's a lot of people who just have no idea there's even a problem because they've been yeah. told by everyone else it's fine. And, uh, and that's that's the issue, isn't it? I mean, if you yeah, if it you is. have come into photography and you wouldn't know you are shown you that this is yeah. the way to do it, yeah. and, and how successful it can be at times. Because I mean, I I've, I've done it. You know, I've done it in the past yep. um, because I didn't know any better. But now you've, well, you, you know, so you know, take me as an example. Yeah, and I've had and, lots and, of people say no, to me, oh, I didn't realise I've used it. And and, I've, and the great <clears throat> thing is people are changing. So I started harping on about this <laughs> quite a few years ago. And you know what? People are changing. And even senior photographers are starting to say they don't do it anymore because <clears throat> they've realised. So it's really, really great. And I think people are starting to realise that the impact is having a big impact on birds because there's not just a few people, there's like thousands of people out there now. Now, to give you an idea, you could have a really rare bird in the middle of Australia and there's now guides that will tell you the exact location of that bird. They'll say, go 50 metres past this town, there's an old car, turn left at the old car, stop yeah. at the dead <clears throat> tree stump and that's where the birds are. Well, so yeah, it might be in a remote location, but Domestic travel, especially during COVID, was sky high and there's a lot of people. So there's at least, I reckon there's a good possibility, at least 100 people a year are going to that rare bird's location in the middle of nowhere and using it. So that, and that's having yeah. an impact. That That's where we're at. And well, we've got to take collective you know, and, and responsibility. We, we... Yeah, and we, we've got a situation now where a lot of the time, you know, when you look at photos, you go, oh, yeah, I know that. I know that place or I know that <gasps> nest. People recognise yeah. the bird. Yes. And the bird. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And they know exactly they where do. it is and exactly where it's been taken because, you know, because there are a hundred other pictures like it. Well, they reckon there's this pink robin in Victoria uh, in the Otway Ranges and someone posted apparently the GPS location of it. So they reckon after that there was about 60 photos on social media of everyone mm. going to the same location. And that poor bird, um, and apart from even call playback, it's being harassed. I just think to people, don't give – I say to people, if you don't want to give location, don't give the location, especially of threatened or sensitive species, never give the location. Yeah. Don't yeah. feel obliged. Blame me. I say, say, Georgina said you can't do it. Keep dumb. Yeah. And if you come across a rare bird, report it to the birding authorities. Yeah. Don't put it on an app. And one thing I find, Georgina, you mentioned too, when it comes to call playback, a lot of folks get introduced to it as they're getting started and they don't realize what the impacts are. Absolutely, yeah. It, yeah. it would seem too, a lot of folks who start um, photography, wildlife photography, bird photography, or what have you, they'll go on workshops and tours and the tour leaders 
will use call playback simply because they want to guarantee results. You know, they're charging a fee, you pay the money, and the tour guide wants to get you that shot. So I think beyond even the you know not knowing i think they get introduced to it through workshop participation and so forth and they take that away and they just don't realize what the impacts are you know exactly what we're discussing what, what are your thoughts on that um well this is interesting because my friend's a scientist and he said he's, it's this um psychological process called normalization and what's happened in bird photography we've normalized a behavior that if you took it outside of bird photography, people would clearly say, well, that's an interference or that's kind of harassment, you shouldn't do it. But it's got so common that people have stopped questioning it at all and it's like in a different part of their brain. They've compartmentalised it. So they can be really good people, really ethical in every other way, but they they just do this. And, and it does happen a lot on tour groups. I had one and um, it concerns me. And I think one of the possibilities is that, uh, if people were really concerned that the tour industry, you know, needed to do this, what you could do is license certain tour leaders who are trained how to use it specifically and only given certain locations where the, where the uh, impact can be monitored on the mm. population. And then, and then you, you kind of had that, like, and that's even better for them because if people want to see it, they have to go there. Otherwise, they're not allowed to use call playback at all. And that way we're limiting it. We are studying those populations where monitoring. My preference is not to use it at all. And I think the reality, because I've had someone say to me, oh, we'll lose tourism. No, we won't. You have never met a twitcher. Or, and I should say, a, what do they call America? Do you call them twit tickers? You know? Do birders, you say but yeah. Birders? We say birders, but yeah. You're not going to lose. You met a murder, but they are obsessed. They fly 2,000 kilometres <laughs> In Australia, they'll fly 2,000 kilometres away because there's a rare bird has landed. Poor bird has gone off its flight route mm. from Siberia and landed in Broome. They'll go to see it, tick it off their list, and then come back. They're going to go. Yeah. They don't. Yeah. Well, they're, you, they're you, wanna... you, put, you put that situation in the UK and how small the UK is and the population of the UK, and you can see how intense that can be because a lot of rare stuff turns up in the UK because of where it's positioned. Mm. Uh, you know, and, and, and it's quite often places like Cornwall and the Isles of Scilly off the off the coast of, you know, that sort of southwest tip of Cornwall. And then, you know, on the other extreme, you know, you've got Shetland and these sort of islands are, are very often the first bits of land that, that you know, uh, rarities find. So that's and then the amount of people that flock to these places. Oh, to and see do you know them, what? My friend does that. She's still a bit of a I mean, she's very ethical, but she'll go. And I said, do you know, I don't even want to see them because. I feel bloody sorry for those birds. Um, they're away from everything in their flock. I don't want to be another person. Like, can you imagine how intimidating it would be for all these humans to be suddenly looking in their direction? And people have this other fallacy that if you've got a long lens, it's okay. You know, like with yeah. nesting birds. And that. And I'm yeah. like, you think that they can't see this great big eye? Focused on them? <laughs> And, and, and actually, you know, unless you've used a long lens, you know, most people don't realize actually how close you need to get even with a long yeah. lens. That's the other fallacy is people with a long lens are still trying to get as physically as close as possible as they can to that bird. It's a myth that they stay 20 meters away. <laughs> it's a complete myth. We're talking about mostly birds now and call playback is huge in bird photography. And when it comes to nature photography, I grew up starting with birds and photographing birds. One thing I've learned as well, there's different types of wildlife photography that I feel, you know, it's not even spoken about. A call playback is, is starting to get that dialogue and you see it now across certain forms. But macro photography, for instance, as I've dove in, into macro mm -hmm. photography the past couple of years, talk about a manipulated situation. You see so many images where you have the lighting you know, the spider is picked up or whatever the, you know, the insect or the, it's placed on a mushroom, you know, the, the level of manipulation that I found in macro photography, in my opinion, goes even well beyond bird photography or mammal. So there's certain segments where it's uh, almost studio like, uh, it, uh, it kind of blew my mind. It's true. Do you know, and, um, what did they use fishing line or something? Didn't we work out in one wild art potty? I think that someone was using a dead Oh, an yeah. insect, yeah. butterfly, <laughs> a butterfly, I think, right? Yeah, well. it's like 
I think that insect's actually dead. You know? Well, the, the funny thing is with that the, that particular shot, there was something about it that really was really bugging me. I'm thinking, it I know this species. It was upside down, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I know the species, and there's something that's not right. Why isn't it? And it didn't click with me for ages until I thought, hang on a minute. I shouldn't be looking at the underwing here. I should be looking at the upper wing or vice versa. I can't remember which way around it was now. I thought this is all a bit strange. And then I thought, hang on a minute, that, that butterfly is upside down. Why is it upside down? And then I, and then I knew there, were no, there was no flash or anything like that involved. And I, and I looked at the settings and there's no way the image could have been taken with a shutter speed that was used and have the motion frozen as it was. So... I worked out that it had to be a dead pinned specimen that somebody had put in that. And, and it, that goes on. That and, goes and the other on thing that goes on with insects actually is, as well. is chilling. Is you chill them oh, in the fridge, they yeah, become they less active and then you can manipulate the them. Yeah. And someone told me years ago they used to super glue the back leg of the lizard. Yeah, I've heard that. Frogs oh as God. well, you know, oh in terms my of sticking God. them. I can't. And... Hmm. But um, just to go back to call playback quickly, I just remembered a couple of things like uh that people were surprised about is bats they use them for bats too they can use it for bats and it's had yep. to be banned banned by the australian bat association whatever their name is because it was having a detrimental impact on bats playing the whatever that i would imagine is. so because you know they use that as an echolocation don't they mm -hmm. rather than just you know a uh, you know, uh, something that sort of stimulates a, a response, be it breeding or be it territorial or whatever. They're actually using it, you know, to navigate. So that, in that sense, you'd actually think that's a lot, you know, and that's, that's a lot more uh, impactful. It's really interesting because I was reading an article and there was a quote by Isaac Pretorius, is it? Pretorius? He's a, a huge African photographer and he was saying you know we call playback with mammal you don't know what impact that's having on lions and things you know if people will use it with animals like that and just because you don't get a response doesn't mean that you know people say oh they've got call playback fatigue because the bird hasn't responded or it's you know but this will chill you to the core we have a really endangered bird over here and when we were going out to do um surveys they said first of all they were saying don't tell bird watchers because we cannot have anyone knowing the location of these birds we do not want and i quote they said bird watchers and twitchers playing call playback and trampling the vegetation so that's another issue i want to say it's often used as an excuse for call playback saying oh it stops you from trampling vegetation well i've got news for you you shouldn't be trampling the vegetation anyway you've got to stay on the paths in australia we've got some really really terrible plant diseases that are transferred by people's shoes it kills 40% of our native vegetation. So if you go off a path yeah. and you start wandering into this pristine vegetation where these endangered birds are, you're actually putting the whole ecosystem at risk. Um, but not only that, they used call playback, and this is what I said, sometimes scientists use it, to try and attract more birds to the area. And they found it had the opposite effect. It actually caused the birds in the area to leave. So how many of those circumstances where people go, oh, it's fatigue, they're not answering, is actually they've caused birds to physically relocate to another area. We don't understand the impact on every bird species. And until we do, there's the, the precautionary principle in environmental law says if you have the potential to do harm and you don't know the a lack of knowledge um, of proof is not a, an excuse for failing to take a precaution mm. so you need would, to take you, would you like to see sort of would you like to see sort of tighter regulations come in like, about actually you know what oh, do you know what it's there already rob it's there already i guarantee every right. country has environmental legislations as you're not allowed to harass native yeah. wildlife but i guess that's subjective isn't it you know no, you know it's, you need it's to be an a objective bit more, thing bit more, it's yeah, no I mean. it's an objective thing but and it's actually specifically in three states of australia it's specifically illegal in the legislation one thing I find when it comes to call playback as well, it's outside of the not being aware, not knowing, like these things we're talking about, a lot of people don't realize the impacts. But I think also there's another piece to it, and it's the competition through social media. For instance, in North mm -hmm. America, I'm in a coastal area now, so I can walk up to waders. I can lay down on a beach and shoot shorebirds. You don't need call playback to get to compose and get great shots. You have a lot of people in the internal parts of the country that live in forested areas. They want to get these songbirds or these warblers. 
and they're seeing all these shots and they want to one up the next photographer. So I think the competition piece is key to that too. That will invite them to up the call playback, to have that perfect coach, to manipulate that situation. Yeah. So I think it goes even beyond the not knowing. I think a lot of it too is driven by competition and trying to get that best shot. That's that's so important that you raise that because that was the other thing I meant to mention when I said the world is changing. And obviously the biggest impact has been social media and for that exact reason. And people want a new bird every day or every week. They want that new species and they want to get the likes. So it, there's an, a, a motivation there that just wasn't there before, you know. I have this old friend, Michael Morecambe, one of the leading bird photographers in Australia's history. He was taking photos in the 60s with a medium format camera. He had 180 millimetres, was the longest focus. Like it was manual focus. He had a, yeah. his flash was powered by a car battery. <laughs> Can you imagine? You know, do you It'd be know hard to he sneak to... up on that. On a <laughs> He'd put it next to nests and everything like that. And I don't have a problem with it because he was the there were only three other photographers in the whole of Australia he yeah. knew who were doing it and the other thing is he nobody so it wasn't like everybody was going to rush out and suddenly do it so digital cameras have made it a lot easier it's accessible to everybody and then there's social media but the other thing is in those days they didn't have images we didn't know about all the birds we didn't but these days we've pretty much got images of all the birds so there's that need like that used to justify some things is, has kind of changed. I think that yeah. it, everything has changed and that's why I say to people, we forget about the past and all the other arguments. If we just look towards the future, we all have to kind of admit it's unsustainable. Um, and it's and not about the bird to, anymore or the animal, is it? It's about no. the photographer at that point. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it and is. their status yeah. in, in, you know, uh, in the, with, amongst their peers, I guess. And if you ask them, my overwhelming experience is that they lie. I mean, of course they do, because humans, if you confront someone with something and say, oh, have you been unethical? Of course they're going to deny it. Um, it's your instinct. So I think that, um, you know, at, I just don't think we can leave it down to a case. I think it's time for the photographic community as a whole. And, and I, th I think there's a, there's a difference, isn't there, between somebody that, that knows the impact that these things have and still goes ahead and, and uses these techniques to somebody who perhaps doesn't know, no, I say this doesn't know any better. It sounds a bit patronizing. Um, and I don't mean it to come across like that, but you know, if you, if you don't, you, if you aren't aware, you know, of the impact that these things have, it's not an excuse, but it's, you know, it's, it's a bit more understandable. No, yeah, it is. Exactly. And you know what? We've all done things in the beginning. You get enthusiastic in the beginning that we look at and we think, oh, we probably shouldn't have done that. I mean, I'm sure in the beginning I used to walk up to birds and do you know what I mean? And yeah. like follow yeah. a bird along the beach or something. Um, and I think that it's, it's we're, we're going past that and we're saying, I think you're right, Rob. And the other thing that upsets me is the people teaching, still teaching other people that this is the way you do it without any caveats and without acknowledging that there is a big issue with it, I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I liken it to if you, if you walk up a mountain and you're the only person that's walked up that mountain, then the impact that you're going to have is pretty minimal. But if you've got 10,000 people walking up that mountain very, very quickly – a lot of that soil is going to get eroded and a, and a path appears and everything else. And, and this, is, this is kind of the cumulative impact that callback can have. Oh, yeah. And this is what I want people to focus on um, going forward. I want to leave behind those old debates that used to divide people and you get really heated things and say, come on, guys, you got to look forward. Even you have to admit <laughs> yeah. this, this just can't go on. It can't go on. And I think it's all about education too, and less being punitive, you know, how dare you, you shouldn't have done it, but more, this is how we need to move forward. And I think it brings everybody in the tent versus, you know, making a good yeah. versus evil argument or whatever. And, and I, yes, because I don't think that's the case. I think it's just being positive about it and yeah. being informative. And when people realize, you know, the impacts that, that they can, they can have by certain actions, then the majority of people, if they have conservation and they have wildlife, you know, at the, at the forefront of their, you know, interest and, and, and the, you know, the interests of, of the actual subjects that they're photographing, which I think is 99.9% .9 of people out there doing it, then 
you know, of course they're, you know, they're, they're going to be less inclined to do those things yeah. because they actually realise, oh, you know, the impacts that they're, that they're having. I don't focus on the people I can't change. I focus on the people yeah. that, that want to learn and will change um, because there's always going to be the people that do the wrong thing. No matter what you do, that's why we yeah. we legislate for the lowest common denominator. <laughs> well, is, isn't that the way? I mean, yes. you know, but you're, you're laughing, but isn't it true? I know it's so it's so sad, but that's humanity. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we it, know well, it we is. can't stop everyone, and then one of the excuses is always, "Oh, you can't change everyone's behaviour." But I mean, but you can change a lot of people's behaviour, and that's going to have an impact. Um, yeah. And yeah. it starts somewhere. Change has to start somewhere, and I think it starts now. Yeah, but and, I think it's education is the, is the key to it. It really is. Yeah, I think education is key because there's so many different situations. There's general guidelines like use a telephoto lens, use the longest focal length, you know, because you don't want to get too close to the animal. But there's situations where, you know, I've been in the Falkland Islands. You could shoot wide angle. A penguin will ro walk right up to you so you can get those shots or you don't shoot nest locations. Well, there are certain situations. If you're in Florida, there's great blue heron rookeries or heron rookeries where there's a boardwalk you can set up. So there are different ways to get certain shots, but you have to be educated and realize what are the boundaries and lines of demarcation. And that comes with time and having an open mind, really, because mm. uh, it's not always a black and white situation of can you use wide angle, can you not, and so forth. Uh, and and I've been quite strict in Australia in different forums and, and had a lot of forums have had to ban nesting bird images and it's not because everybody does the wrong thing. Mm. It's simply because human nature being what it is, once you allow one photo, it's very hard on a social media platform to start saying, oh, but that photo's okay, but that photo's not because then people get upset the and they're going, well, what, where's yeah. the line say? So sometimes yeah. you do get to the point where, yes, you have to be a bit autocratic and say, no, we're not going to have any because the greater good, even though you can take photos that, are okay and they might be fine in an educational forum you know like on a David Attenborough documentary or someone who's doing research or education about something but for social media purposes the risk of allowing nesting bird images is that once you let them in like we were getting this on Facebook forums you suddenly get all these little bird, baby birds and nests and eggs and <laughs> Real close-ups, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's a nightmare for – someone's got their mobile phone and gone up and, you know, and it's a nightmare for administrators. So it's been as a practical point of view um, that we've got Australian Bird Life Photography Group and we've banned nesting bird images. We haven't banned them, but we don't post them publicly. So we say you can submit them. They go into the scientific library. They can be used for research and education, but we don't um, post them publicly because we don't mm. want to encourage people to think that it's okay because um, it's a really, really sensitive time for And birds. it's a very, very difficult yeah. thing to award an image in a competition. It, it's that's very, a, a very – do you know, this is the thing I say to people, you're not going to yeah. get an award-winning photo with a nesting photo unless it's something really special. But I, do, I agree, you can use remote cameras and wide angles and things quite safely. You can photograph at colonies quite safely. There's lots of scenarios, you know, if the bird's at the top of a tree, it's probably quite – But as you, as you say, it's not pack. necessarily about the circumstances of an no. individual image. It's about what that image then says to the people mm. that are viewing it and what's acceptable because they're and, not necessarily going to know how that image was taken. Even and if, I think it, the rule does – some people get really upset because they don't understand that it's not about what you did and I'm, I believe that you did the right thing and you didn't disturb the bird. But what I'm worried about is if you put that on a social media forum, yeah. the impact. Yeah. So, <clears throat> you know, that's and, and, and a it's distinction. Hard Hard to police that on social media. Uh, you know, in a photo competition, you can certainly enforce rules and choose what what can be selected and what can't be you selected. You can't on people's Instagram. Personal yeah, no, yeah, it's no. very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm meaning more like Facebook groups. You know, like this uh, yeah, particular you can, bird yeah. group. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's very difficult to turn around and say, actually, I don't think you should have posted that. I know, and you upset a lot of people, and then mm. people don't understand the fine line, and that's where administrative got. Australians are in that difficult position where in the end they've just said no completely yeah. because it's you've got to have but, a thick skin you really do and people also need to understand the back the history behind these kind of things and I read this story once that in India it was banned on a lot of social media forums nesting because at one stage professional photographers were paying villagers to sh 
tell them where a rare bird was nesting. They were going and taking the photos and then destroying the nest so no one else could get the same photo. So it is step, these kind of things are stemming from, and we've even had an instance here where someone was caught by a child relocating a nest to a more picturesque location. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, this is serious stuff and people are doing it. And But if you take away that ability to post it, they won't do it. It's as yeah. simple as that. And that's what we're looking at here. We're not looking at what you did. You might have done the right thing. You might not have hurt the bird, but there's a greater picture here. That's an interesting topic altogether, isn't it? That sort of, you know, the social media, the whole social media thing and the drive for adoration, I guess, from your photographic I hate peers social and... media. <laughs> so I've been I. off it for about six months, and I tell you, I've never been happier in my entire life. It, it, hasn't, done, it, it, it hasn't, hasn't done much for the world, has it, Georgina? And the funny thing was, I was only t discussing this the other day with Jennifer, you know, my partner, and we were we were talking about social media, and I said, you know what? Half of me just I, I actually over Twitter, you know, obviously with Elon Musk and everything else, I actually I actually deleted my Twitter, my personal Twitter account because I just thought, no, I, I don't need it. I never use it. I don't like it. I don't like Twitter anyway as a platform. I just think it's very negative, um, you know, and, and you just I don't know, people. It's, it's, a, it's one of those platforms, I think, that really does attract the negative comment and and people just trolling other people. I just don't like it as a platform. So I, I came, I cancelled my, you know, uh, deleted my account. And almost with Instagram as well, you just think, oh, yeah, there is some nice stuff on Instagram. But it, I, I do find it sometimes a little soulless, you know, and it's all it is, it's, it's, you know, you put images up there and it's, oh, how many likes did I get? Well, well it's a little bit competitive yeah. and you can't yeah. avoid it because – even without trying, you're having a physiological reaction. Like, if you don't, you think you don't care, but if you put a photo up that you really like and nobody likes it, deep down that does. Yeah, it's do you part of our mean? nature, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It's mm. part of our nature that our mood will change. And it's these little cycles. You've got to be a very, someone said you shouldn't be on it if you're sensitive at all. <laughs> and I think that's right. You shouldn't. But because, isn't that most of us? Yeah, well. Isn't, you know, I mean, I think, you know, you have to be, well, almost. Um... It's, it, it, it's, a, it's a clouded vision, too. I, I speak mm -hmm. to a lot of folks when I go on Instagram and I look at images or it goes beyond that now with reels and video. It's about mm -hmm. people's lifestyle or their personality as a photographer more than the yes, output is, or the, the product, yeah. right? Yeah. And I don't think a lot of folks can distinguish that. They look at that and they think, oh, wow, their life is incredible. They're jet setting every day. They're taking <laughs> these photos and they think it's normal and it creates a lot of jealousy self-doubt and you know we're going through a huge health crisis i think with the pandemic so you add all these things together it's very difficult to pull the positives out of and you know what and, and then you see people go to costa rica and africa and you think bastards am i allowed to say that you just said it <laughs> it's fine <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you 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 the first swear word on the podcast, Georgina. <laughs> Trust Aussie. It won't be the last. <laughs> no. Get Andy on. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll line him up at some point. <laughs> yeah, actually, no, I just doesn't that, oh, yeah. doesn't that bring us on to to another area actually as well, and 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 that's sort of you know you talking about Costa Rica and these sort of exotic locations, and that's one about baiting. And, oh, my word, how controversial is, is that as a subject? But it's something I think that does need talking about. Because well, I know I, you're, you're, you're very vocal about that one too, Georgina. Uh, well, I, I, uh, well, it's interesting. And you've got to make a distinction here. And I tell people, because people say, is it okay to feed birds like in Australia? And do you know what? It's illegal in Australia. So whereas in the UK and in North America, birding authorities are like, promoting people to put bird feeders out. Australia's are doing the opposite. Our mm. scientists have said it's detrimental to the native mm. birds. They need to get their own food. They're not getting their native foods. They're not getting all of the, like, the antibiotics and all the other, like, uh, antioxidants and things that they get from the things, and it, it makes them ill. And also there's a risk of transferring disease. And I did read something, Rob, that in the UK a few years ago, 
5,000 green finches died in a yes. thing, yep. and that was through bird feeders. It was, yeah. So, I mean, it, so when you you're talking about, about feeding, yeah. you've got to make a distinction of geographical areas because historically you, you can't do it in Australia. You're not supposed to do it. Um, there is a guy who says if you do it, make sure it's native food or natural food. Only put out um, – because his, his, his point of view, and I, and I get it, um, is, is that people want to do it and people love birds. So if you're going to do it, put out the native food. Make sure you sterilise the bowl every day, like with vinegar and or whatever. I um, can't remember what you have to use. Um, so you're not transferring disease. Only put out a little bit that they can't rely on, so they still have to go and get their native food. So you can still enjoy birds no. um, and don't do it every day so that they're reliant on it. Mm. Um and that's that's probably and make sure it's undercover because if you put it out in the open and I've seen people say oh you know oh look a gossip came down and got the bird that's just nature well it's not nature because you've put a feeder out in the middle of the open and normally that bird would not be sitting out in the I middle had of the a, open. <laughs> I, I, I had a I had a sparrowhawk literally two days ago oh yeah they will finch, you know, on yep. my lawn yep. you know and, and oh, I, if plucky. I stand and if I stand and photograph the birds in my garden, because I do feed the birds in my garden, but well, it is do, some, it, it, well, it, well, yeah, we, we all do, but it is something I have been thinking about quite a lot because, it, you know, I actually do realize that I'm changing behaviors and I'm making them reliant on a food source that isn't necessarily going to be there all the time. If I'm away on holiday, I have yeah. to make sure I get a neighbor to fill my feeders up mm. because mm. I know these birds have become reliant on that as a food source. Mm. Now, is that a good thing? It, and what am I doing it for? I'm well, doing it, it because I like you've to see the birds in my advice. garden. Well, you've got to take advice from your yeah. birding authorities too. And if they're promoting it, then yeah. that's where the change has to come. They need to do the science and say, is this acceptable or isn't it? You know, and look at, the look at the industry that's behind it as well. Yeah. I mean, this is a whole yeah. other subject for another podcast. But in the UK, crikey, I mean, bird feeders, bird food, and everything, is a huge industry. It's huge. Yeah. Same in North I mean, America. Yeah, I mean, I know in North America too, and it's re that's why I've always seen it's really, really interesting because people don't realize. Yeah, it, it's, it's a pastime yeah. for folk. Yeah. yeah, and in North America, what I do, I feed birds, but I do it mostly in the winter time. That's when you know birds sometimes need more food and more fat, more and, and so. And that forth. was my understanding of the justification. Yeah. Yeah. So we but, the, but then, but then like you think about it. What... The big thing is you were saying with finches. You know, yeah. we see that in North America too. You'll see. House finches, purple finches, they'll show up, and they're or goldfinch. Their one eye will be all closed. Um, you know, yeah. it's it's a it's a. Horrendous I mean, I I photographed I photographed chaffinches with that sort of foot disease, that foot fungus type mm. disease that, that that you know malforms the feet and everything. So yes, you do have to be very very careful. And I say this to you other people to in the village. Actually, you have, you have to, to sterilize. sterilize the feeders. You know, and and it, you have to do it every day or re very rare because in Australia. Yeah. In Mauritius, they almost wiped out a species of parrot because of beak and feather disease, which is yeah. one of the horrible diseases or psittacosis that we have here. If that gets around, it can wipe out, like, our parrots. So we have to – it's really, really important that people well, – it's, it's, But it's like, every, it's like anything, isn't it? I mean, if we had a COVID pandemic, obviously, which we did, it's like getting everybody to drink out the same water bottle, isn't it? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, right. it's like that's, – that's, it, that's what it's like oh, if you are getting you – know, it's really interesting because about, you know, supplementary feeding. We had a in one photo competition, someone had put a photo in and it was during the droughts and they were f they were saying it was a really good thing because a community group was going out and then feeding all these birds in this area. But I looked at the photo and I said, they're feeding all of the predatory birds. So they were all kookaburras, they were ravens, they were currawongs. These are all birds that predate on other birds and all the insects. Mm. So what's happening is if you're supplementing feeding them, they're becoming stronger but you're not supplementing feeding all the animals down the food chain. So their populations who are already struggling from a lack of resources and things are going to be even more impacted. So you've got to be really careful when you start fiddling with, like, feeding um, certain species above others and the impact, especially mm. if they're predator birds. Um, you don't know what impact that's going to have down the line. I mean, we, what, whatever we do, we have an impact, don't we? I mean, that's, that's well, this is thing. a sad thing about yeah. humans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We should feed the birds humans. <laughs> <laughs> There's plenty of all around. Right? Yeah. I, I can think of a few candidates that I'd like to line up first. <laughs> and even even with the um, the best intentions, things can go right. In North America, 
the peregrine falcon was endangered years ago, and there's been this huge reintroduction of peregrine falcons in coastal areas where they have these things called hacking towers that they set up. And now there's very strong populations of peregrine falcons all along the East Coast. Well, what that's happening, all of the migrating shorebirds going through are constantly being harassed. They're killing more shore, shorebirds. They're not giving them a chance to rest and feed. And, you you know, there's always a domino effect, you know, when you try to help uh, you know, one particular you species. With nature. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, well. Yeah, I mean, in, in the UK, I mean, talking about raptors, I mean, the the red kite reintroduction in the UK is is a real success story in inverted commas. And but then you go to these sort of areas in well, there's one particularly famous one in in the middle of Wales where they feed them, and of course, you know, at the same time every day, out comes a cartload of offal and everything else into a field, and and you know they've got these sort of photography hides and everything in and honestly i've been there you wouldn't believe how many buzzards and red kites and 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 things like ravens descend on this place just as soon as this like dinner bell goes literally it's like pavlov's dog you know, they come in they come in and from nowhere it's like a starling murmuration almost from nowhere they're in and there wow. are hundreds of them and you just think well actually those birds are are they reliant on that food source the answer to that is, mm. you know, undoubtedly, wow. yes. So how do you then wean them off that and then stop that activity? Do you know what's a really good, you know what really good in-between thing? And I, I thought I don't have a problem. This is a really good thing to do. I th or, 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 in um, Tasmania, is it Tasmania? I'm going to be careful here. Yeah, it's Tasmania. Um, there's a place and what they do is they relocate roadkill to an area and they've got to hide. Now, I don't have a problem with that because if the raptors come down and try and feed on that dead wallaby on the road, they could get hit. Um, vehicle strike True. is another yeah. big one for wedge-tail eagles. I mean, I've driven across the Nullarbor and I've seen 10 dead wedge-tail eagles that have been killed because they're feeding on a kangaroo that's on the road and people don't slow down. So I don't have a problem with relocating a roadkill that's already there um, and would be eaten to a, a safer area and at the same time allowing photographers to to photograph mm. that. I think that's a more sustainable thing. So if there's no roadkill, it doesn't happen. Win-win, um, if you will, right, Georgina? I mean, you don't yeah, have I think so. I think that's the kind of thing. And, and with most of these things, there is a way of doing these activities without having the detrimental impacts that we're having, lack of compromise, if you like, um, where it is a win-win one thing yeah, I, but I mean, I find about baiting is it seems regional from my perspective. I'd like to get your thoughts on that, particularly in some spots in Europe. Um, I know folks will go to certain hides. You get wolves, bears, you know, uh, wolverines and all these things. In North America, it isn't it is not picked up. It's not a thing. If you have a picture of a wolf in yellow, that's a big deal. You know, it's, it's something that happens naturally. Mm -hmm. But I know folks will pay and they'll go in blinds and they must be feeding them. I mean, these, you know, the wolves, the bears, all these things come. Oh, up. yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's that, yes, more exactly. prolific in yeah. specific areas. Because again, again, you know, you get down to, you know, this as being a, an industry where you almost have to guarantee the shot. Yeah. You know, so how far do you go with that? But then you've got the other extreme, you know, in certain areas of North America where you've got live baiting going on with mice mm. under bells. <gasps> yeah. oh. Do you think thing. that stopped? Has that stopped or is it still no, going? It's still it's a big thing, yeah. And, uh, and I'm like, how many suicidal mice go hopping across <laughs> the top of the snow in front of a <laughs> snowy white owl? <laughs> and, and in some cases, it's uh, they'll take uh, like a little, it's a toy mouse, it's a stuffed mouse on a string. And what mm. they'll they'll put That's it out terrible. and they'll pull the string oh, back. Oh uh, so it's um, so it's making all that effort and it's still not getting a meal. Yeah. Yeah. Oh that's, my God, so that's that going on too. But I think in in the photography community in North America, there's been so much debate about it. There's been so much, you know, controversy, people videos showing, you know, these owls landing on people's heads and so forth. And uh I think everyone is wise to it now. If you see a shot of a great gray owl. Yeah wings out coming at you people yeah. know and yeah. i so i so the good news is i think the the jury's out the jury's no longer out on this people realize that um that's yeah. live baiting and these images just go so far as getting likes on social media there's it's still there but i think um 
most people are aware of what's going on. And I, I hopefully it will have an impact long term and there'll be it's less like, and less. I don't know if you've ever noticed those images. There was a few years ago, there was a guy who'd have baby birds arranged on branches and then, yeah. and, and you could see they weren't even fledged. So someone's, you know, the photographer's plucked them out of the nest and they're amazing oh, images. Wow. But people who know photos know that those birds can't even fly. Like they shouldn't be out of the nest. He's, they've arranged them. There's some, I think that people who do that, they do get popular in the short term, but ultimately um, people must realise. And how do they maintain yeah. that without keep doing like really bad things like that? And sooner or later people are going to twig. They okay. do it with starlings, I heard, actually. Star because you know, they're not protected in the in, in North America. Starlings house sparrows because they're introduced. So I think uh, those types of birds are used for and it's not I think maybe it's less for owls and different types of raptors. So it's you know, it's trying to get diversity. But again, I think <laughs> when you have a raptor coming straight at you with the talons out, I mean most people mm. know. Uh, but a lot of people don't, you know, especially but, on but, social media. But then you can have these situations where um, feeding birds has had a really positive impact on their population. I mean, I'm thinking, uh, in, for example, like Dalmatian pelican on Lake Kikini, mm. where, in, you know, that's become a real industry and the fishermen are looking after them and feeding them and the population has done really well because of it. And the photographers have come and photographed them and everybody's seen those images and they want to go and they, they want to take those pictures. That's had a, you know, you could argue that's had a very positive impact on that population which is a good thing. I often think that about Ecuador and places like that too. It's like a lot of these rainforest places, yes, they're feeding the hummingbirds or something or and the parrots. But Well, we'll on get onto that. We'll get onto hummingbirds I in know, a minute. Yeah. I know, <laughs> but, and I know. And I'm always reticent to make a comment because I don't know the situation and I suspect that the money is what's saving a lot of those forests. But let's be brutally honest, they're going to be cleared. Yep. yep. Um, they're being cleared in Australia, they're going to be even more likely to be cleared in countries that don't have the same, I'm assuming they don't, but I don't know. Um, you know, so you still have to have, be practical as well. And until there's other alternatives, you know, if tourism is saving that area, then... Well, if you, let's hark back to the winning image of Wild Art last year and, and, the, and the whale shark... You know, and the locals actually feeding those whale sharks because the photographers and the public are coming to see them and swim with them. Uh, and, there, and there are some very strict regulations surrounding that, like you're not allowed to touch them and this, that and the other. But instead of killing those animals now, they're feeding them because they're attracting people that are paying them money to, to see them. So their attitude has changed. And, and that's, that's a very sort of, um, I think it's very insightful, the way that, you know, you have to, you know, if, if, if these animals are, in, are more valuable to people alive than they are dead, then they're going to look after them. But then, of course, you know, that is, it's never without its impact. And, of course, feeding those animals now on a migratory route is delaying their migration to breeding grounds because it's for easy food. So you're having an impact. Oh, I'm worried about those wild sharks. Way. I was thinking yeah. they should be moving on as long as exactly. the feeding is not extending beyond their natural period in that area yeah but you see this this is this is the whole thing this is why we've got to be very very and careful, you can't but... trust governments either you think they're doing the best mm. interest but for instance we have dolphin feeding here that's been going on for 30 years and they build a whole center as a tourism thing that whole population's been devastated by that interaction with humans um mm. and it's basically disappearing at monkey mile and and you couldn't trust the department of environment because the government had a vested interest in the tourism yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's it's all about the problem it, you know, is we're never going to have reliable facts coming out from people because there's too many vested interests. Yeah, and, and, is, and we're never going to stop people from feeding animals. It's going to happen. It's just a matter of well, that's um, why this guy's approach, like to say, well, we're never going to stop it. So if you are going to do it, do it this way. Yeah. Is yeah. the lesser of two evils. Yeah, so I mean, I'm always reticent to talk about feeding because it's it's something I don't know. I'm very aware that in every country and every situation, there's different factors yeah. involved. Yeah. It's not always I mean, dry, is it? No. Yeah, I mean, you know, take, take hummingbirds and, and how many pictures of, lovely pictures of hummingbirds have we seen coming to flowers, but we know that it's actually sugar water in the majority of cases that's attracting those, those um, birds in. And there, there's also a lot of photography done at the sort of sugar water type feeders. Um, but studies have shown that actually where that takes place 
and those birds we're going back to supplementing diets and and birds taking easy sort of the easy option over feeding um, by going to feeders rather than perhaps flowers to, to get the nectar because it's just an easier option and and this is what wildlife's going to do isn't it i mean this is what we'd all do you know if it's easier to get food from you know one place as opposed to the next place you're going to go to the easier place and this is all they're doing but by but by concentrating them in an area and making them not reliant but but attracting them in with the sugar water their main you know their, their main sort of purpose is the pollination of native plants but it's shown that in areas of feeders, the pollination rates of plants have gone down because there isn't so much feeding happening, you know, natural feeding from the hummingbirds because they're all gravitating towards the easier feeders. I mean, it's understandable, but it does have an impact. So we've got to be very, very mindful, you know, of what, what we do you know, in any of these situations. But, I mean, well, feeding is, as you say, is such a difficult sugar area. Sugar water would be... I mean, imagine, we all know how bad soft drinks are for humans. And imagine the difference between that little tiny bird yeah. having pure sugar water versus pollen or nectar, which is packed full of nutrients. So it's not just about whatever the sweetener is that nature uses. It's also about all these other amazing things that that bird has evolved to need in order to be a healthy bird. So yeah. the birds look fine when they leave the feeder, but you don't know what impact it's having on its lifetime or its health, you know, a few months down the track or a year down the track. Um, and that's the problem. Yeah. So, you know, it, all of these things, and, it, and when you stop and you think about it, you know, you realise, you know, what an impact that we, we can have. And let's get on to things, you know, even things like seabirds. And we've all seen, you know, these amazing pictures of gannets and other, you know, other, other, other sort of seabirds coming in and taking dead fish, for example. But has anybody ever stopped to think about where the fish has come from? I mean, if it's a question of, well, it's a, a bycatch product from the fishing industry or whatever, well, that's a, that's a reasonable argument. But if you, if you are going out and you are catching fish, killing them, and then throwing them over the side, that's, that has a different dynamic to it in my book. Yeah, I kind of have the view that if you're killing another animal just to get a photo, there's something wrong. Mm. <laughs> um, it just feels morally wrong. Um, yeah. And I, th I think you really do have to question the sort of moral, you know, the moral code behind that. I mean, yeah. I mean, if it was going to be eaten or it's scraps or something, you can, that's fine. But it's, it's, yeah. Exactly. Anyway, so think about, think about that, everybody. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> I, I think we, I think we've covered a few things, haven't we? I mean, we've been going yeah. for nearly an hour. <laughs> I, I told you we weren't going to hold back. <laughs> But did I, I hold I, back or did I don't know if I no, did. No, I don't I don't no. hold back. <laughs> I could have <laughs> said a lot more. <laughs> I could have said a lot more. <laughs> Probably will we stop recording. <laughs> but I, I actually think it's an important I think it's an oh, important I debate so. to have. And even if it's just even if this has just helped sort of open a few people's eyes to stuff that does go on and made them think a little bit more about you know, uh, you know about the yeah, sustainability and the processes and, and the, the impact that photography can have and what we do to get the photographs that we take, I, th I think it's important. And I think if we can go away with one thing, it's that getting a photo of a bird is a privilege, not a right. We need I, I really to change like that. Yeah. the whole way we look at it. And, um, and I think if people did, then it would change. Yeah, and I think having a photo of an animal behaving naturally and naturally being is the best. Is yep. people appreciate that? Oh, uh, you, yes. you know, you could tell anyone with a trained eye who's been photographing wildlife can see when a bird is stressed or an animal is stressed in that photo. And so, um, even from a from a photography standpoint, you want to capture that natural behavior. And, and the only way to do that is not to put place stress. And on can I just say, a reputation once ruined is very, very hard to earn yeah. back. Yeah. So yeah. you set yourself up as a certain kind of photographer. Other photographers, no. We might not say anything publicly, but we're thinking, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you're going to have to work really hard to regain your esteem in my put, eyes. You put that stuff and either down when you're walking. With <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Down and turn away. Oh. Well, that, yeah, well, that, that's, a, that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> that's a whole other discussion. 
just put it know, down someone, and walk away. Okay, well, by the by, though, someone told me that they were photographing puffins. I think I've told you this story before, Rob, on one of those islands that you are. Oh, in the UK. or somewhere, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And this couple walked up and pulled a stuffed puffin. Apparently, you can Puffet, buy taxidermy yeah. puffins and put it out there and photograph the stuffed puffin. <laughs> what are you doing, people? <laughs> I think that's the best one. <laughs> probably did probably did better on Instagram than everybody else's picture of a puppy. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> one thing I have to say, I've been photographing waterfowl and swans, with, and I use decoys off of my dock because there's duck blinds on the other side, so I don't feel bad about that. I'd rather have them over by me than near the duck yeah. blind. Oh, my but, God, they shoot because they shoot uh, them, do they? Yeah, and, uh, you know, when the sun sets, I get these beautiful silhouettes of these decoys. <laughs> and so I'm having to uh, hit the shutter button and uh, uh, I had <laughs> – Right, so watch out for that. Like, this is a yeah. beautiful scene. <laughs> Actually, I've never thought you could do that with swans. It'd be really amazing. <laughs> Give me ideas. <laughs> is this a real swan? <laughs> <laughs> Prove it. <laughs> Especially if it's a silhouette. You can't see the detail. You can't see anyway. the detail. We should be able to. <laughs> I think sort of, going back to what you were saying about you know, the, the the more relaxed the animal is or the more, you know, the, the animal or the bird or whatever you're photographing is displaying natural behavior, the better the image. And I can think of some really good examples that we've had in Wild Art Photography of the Year this year that display those very qualities, you know, and, and you know, I can think of, you know, a good number. So, yeah, that those are the images that, to me, have the most impact. I mean, let's face it, we've all seen the stressed birds before. We've seen the cool play, yeah. playback birds yeah. a thousand the, times. The wing droop and the uh, – yeah. yeah. And, and one thing that bothers me too with a lot of photographers when it comes to ethics, they'll be ethical to get the shot. So you'll crawl up. You won't disturb, whether it's the shorebird or whatever the bird is. You get that shot. And then I've seen so many people, okay, I have the shot. All right, well, I'm just going to stand up now. Or stand up now. Yeah, yeah. Away and disturb everything. And, I, you know, you creep in so silently and then it's you know the shot you know you have the shot it was it's a great sequence actually, and well, let me get it i'm glad you said comforter. that because when i talked about the waiter that i got i wait until they keep moving on to after i've got the shot and then when they're far enough away i get up and walk away or yeah. quite often raptors fly overhead and they all get flushed anyway so then you can get yeah. up but yeah it's true i've seen yeah. that too yeah it is yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh no the worst thing is when you've got a yoga mat and then they get up to like pick up the yoga mat and, they shake and then the it. whole flock just goes yeah. my friend did that one day and she goes i didn't do i didn't do that and i said yes you did <laughs> like, you just you just scared off 200 birds in one yeah. Yeah. Oh dear oh well either that or you have you have a pack of dogs that, that oh. do it for you uh, well mm. i told you that story last time i think was <laughs> in wales when i was photographing some oyster catchers i had this i was waiting for this group of oyster catchers and the and the the sea was bringing them close the incoming tide was bringing them closer and closer to me so i'd been there for like half an hour i'm thinking oh and the light was great and there were some nice crashing waves behind them and i'm thinking oh this is going to be brilliant but then along come our furry friends for people just walking them in, off they went and it's mm -hmm. like oh we're really sorry what was it you were photographing? I said, well, those things that are flying mm -hmm. over there. Oh, that's happened to me so often. I, we could do a whole episode on dogs, I can tell you. Yeah. Because I go yeah. out with my dog, but she's on a lead. And, um, yeah, she's not well, we to ought to. We ought, we ought to do, you know, because, you, should, you know, if you and everybody knows I'm a dog owner. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, my dog was sat on my lap, wasn't she, when we, we first oh. sort of got online and started chatting. Mm -hmm. She was having a nice. But, you know, I think, you know, you have a responsibility mm -hmm. if you own a dog you know, around wildlife. But uh, anyway. Another, it's another discussion. I think oh, we've been going for over an hour, so let's let's sort of um, wrap that up. You know where where we are, I think, and we can we can save a deeper discussion for, for perhaps another day. But uh, Georgina, thank you very much for for, for coming on and um, you know and being so um, what's the word um, vocal <laughs> talking about playback. I think it's in my genes. You can't yeah. shut us up. <laughs> <laughs> and why would you want to? No, I think it, you know, like everything, uh, this is this is a discussion that needs to be had. And mm. as I said, uh, you know, I did say we weren't going to hold back, and I'm glad. I'm oh, glad I look, I, and nothing riles me more than people telling me this is the way it's done. 
yeah. if it, I have to have love. an independent view. Partic- and if particularly, particularly when they say love at the end love. of it. Love! Oh. Yeah. Have you ever had that? Okay, we can talk about another episode with elderly men walking up to you when you're a female <laughs> photographer saying, love, you're shooting in the wrong direction. I, I, I don't know. I've never, I've, I've never been a female photographer, Georgina. <laughs> Put a skirt on and have a go and see how it happens. I think the beard kind of, you know, gives it away. Oh, yeah, that would be creepy. No. Yeah. <laughs> you might be beaten up, actually. Yeah. <laughs> on that note. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> let's let's wrap it up i said thanks very much um it's it's been a real pleasure having you on and having that infectious laugh um (laughs) while we've been talking about such a serious subject so uh yeah thank you very much josh thanks for your time and for for the input as always and uh, thank you everybody for listening i hope you really enjoyed it or got something from that i think probably is more uh is more the more the case but uh, i really do hope that it's been thought-provoking I made you really think, you know, about, um, you know, how you go about your photography and, and perhaps, you know, some of the practices that maybe you've, you've been involved with in the past and perhaps we'll, we'll, we'll think very carefully about, you know, in the, in the future. So this whole thing, as I said, wasn't a question of having a witch hunt for everybody. It was a question of trying to educate and inform. And I, that's what I hope forward. that we've, yeah. yeah, I think that's what I hope that's what we've done. So uh, yeah. anyway, I do hope people have got something out of it and, um, you know, we'll, uh, we'll think of, we'll think of another topic and, uh, and, and see you all again in the next episode. Oh, you can't see me, can you? <laughs> <laughs> Georgina waiting. and Josh are sat there waving everybody. And I, I was waiting for the, I was waiting for the verbal bye. <laughs> Anyway, bye, everybody. (laughs) Bye. Thanks, Georgina. (laughs) Bye. You have been listening to the Wildlife Photography Podcast. If you have enjoyed the content, then please help us to spread the word by sharing a link on your social media platforms, giving us a like, and leaving us a comment. See you all again next time.